Welcome to a special Encore presentation of Compassion Radio. Tracking the Kingdom of God in Real Time. This is the daily journal of God and His people working together for a better today and a better forever. Thanks for joining us today. Last week, we spent some quality time taking a deep look into what is now being called the Asbury Revival. And today we'll continue on that theme, this time to take a look back at some of our own personal experiences with revival in our own lives with ministries in the past. Sandy picks it up where we left off last time. And if you didn't hear any of the earlier episodes in the series, just go to our website, CompassionRadio.com. Click the search icon and type in the keyword, Revival. us to talk a little bit too about our own personal experiences with awakening or being part of revivals. You and I have different experiences as to what a revival looks like. When we were kids, yeah, sure. When we were kids. I grew up in the Southern Baptist tradition and a revival was something that was planned out for Mm. months in advance. It's on the calendar. Something that we really looked forward to because it meant we were at church every night for a week at a time. And it meant a lot of food, a lot of music. Yeah, we were just together with people that we cared about. There would be an out-of-town evangelist that would come in, yeah. and sometimes they would stay in our home. I remember that well because my dad was part of the music ministry team at my church, and my mom as well. There would be a special musical guest that would be there for mm-hmm. the week. That was always fun. So it was more of a planned meeting that we would have. And these are the roots for Southern Gospel, too. Yeah. Groups actually traveled around to be part of these revival meetings and still are, really. Yeah. I just remember hearing stories my whole life growing up. I remember my granddaddy talking about having an experience at a Brush Arbor mm-hmm. service in Sego, Texas. Sego, Texas. Outside of Waco. He was a young boy and was not a believer at the mm-hmm. time. His family was not a spiritual family in that sense. They didn't go to church. And this was back in the early, early 1900s. He met the Lord at a brush arbor and was on fire Mm. for Jesus. He told me a story about late in his life. There was a big reunion in Sego. I don't know if it was like an anniversary of the church, 100 years or whatever. But we went to it because my granddaddy wanted to go. And he, at this point, was about 90 years old, walking with a walker, but always had a great smile on his face. And so we went with he and my grandmother to this service. They had rebuilt the brush arbor Mm. and he wanted to walk out there through it. So we walked across this field to this brush arbor and he walked around and he was looking for something, trying to search out a spot. He finally stopped and he was looking down at the ground. And when he looked up at us, tears were streaming down his face. And he said, this is it. This is the spot where I met Jesus. And I knew it was. You could just see that he had come home to a place that was so significant. That was well over 40 years ago. And it still impacts me. That moment that he knew that he belonged to Jesus. Mm. He said that he was laying on the ground under a bench. And he was about to fall asleep because they had been going for hours. And something sparked his attention And he said he couldn't remember the exact words. Well, it woke him up. But it woke him up, and he knew at that moment that his life was different, Mm. that he had received Jesus. It was a beautiful time. It was a beautiful and profound moment for me as well. I can't imagine that when you look at somebody you love and realize that the only way you've ever known that person has been transformed, Mm -hmm. and that there was something before that, and that you might not even be 
had it not been for God's move in their heart. His choice of who he married later and the family he raised and where he would raise them and how God provided for him in ways that you saw miracles in your family happen during the Depression. All those things may never have occurred had God not moved. Mm -hmm. So we're not just beneficiaries of that legacy. We are literally the product of it, Mm -hmm. that you and I are meeting and falling in love and starting our family as a result of all those other people that were transformed, that brought us into the same room, literally, so that we could find each other. Does God work through all that? Oh, I'm certain of it. So what does revival then personally mean for you? Because you saw it in his life and it moved you. But you came to know the Lord in what you would consider a personal way at a different stage in life than when you thought you did. Right. How did that work out? Well, I grew up in the church and even as a very young girl was exposed to the to the gospel. The problem was it was a gospel of fear. Mm. And there was more about being saved from something than to something. Kind of like the fears that this Sarah Osborne character from the Second Great Awakening was ascribing. Exactly, yeah. exactly. There was a fear of hell mm-hmm. for certain in my life. And as a young girl of seven, mm-hmm. I was terrified and would have nightmares. This is the boogeyman gospel, really. Absolutely. So I can remember one Sunday then going down the aisle and telling the pastor, I don't want to go to hell mm. at seven years old. And I didn't. So he said, okay, then you need to be baptized. And so at seven, I was baptized. And yeah, that was my life. That was where I was supposed to be. I was growing up in the church. That was kind of expected of me. But when I was in high school, we had a youth pastor that was very on fire, Mm. very excited about Jesus. And it was odd to us Mm. as teenagers. We're like, oh, you know, what's wrong with this guy? What is the deal with that? And this was in the early 70s. Junior high and high school for me was just normal small town Texas kind of stuff. Our church went to a concert in Austin the gospel concert, but it wasn't something like I had ever experienced. Mm. I had grown up going to Southern Gospel Quartet sing-alongs. My dad was very much a fan of the Blackwood Brothers, the Statesman Quartet. Many of our listeners will be familiar with those names. The cathedrals, all of these Southern Gospel Quartets that were very, very famous at the time in popular music. This concert was a group called the Imperials. Mm. They had been around for a long time, too. They basically had begun as kind of a gospel quartet. And ended up singing with Elvis for a number of years, yeah. So we went to this concert, and there was also a group called the Cruz Family there that was a a family that traveled around Texas and sang Christian music. And some of them were my age, Mm -hmm. close to my age in that group. So I was very intrigued by that because I love to sing. Music was very important in our home and all of that. So I went to this concert. My family was there. A lot of my friends were there from church. And one of the singers from the Imperials, Russ Taff is his name, was giving a sermon. And he talked about having grown up in the church, very similar to what I had grown up. And he talked about that and talked about how, yeah, this is what you do. You go down the aisle and you get baptized and then you're part of the team and you've got that box checked off in your life. And he said, but here's the thing, unless you own it, unless it's yours, unless you have the personal walk with Christ, it's not real. Mm-hmm. You can't go by what your grandparents did and what your parents did. It has to be you. And that struck me. I realized at 15 that what I was doing, what I had in my life, was something that my parents and my grandparents had handed down to me, which was valuable and important, but it wasn't mine. And so I went forward and prayed a prayer of salvation. I prayed that night that Jesus would transform me 
personally, that it would be my walk with him. And I didn't know what that was supposed to look like, Mm -hmm. but I was grateful that we had a youth pastor that could tell me Mm -hmm. and could teach me. And that youth pastor had been transformed by the Jesus music movement. He had, very much so. And your church then experienced a revival in that way. Well, it did because the teenagers then that were so moved by the music they heard at that concert got excited because we could have music that we like, Mm. that we enjoy. And then the big debate over devil drums began. Exactly, exactly. But, I mean, my dad had always been very innovative in Mm. those kind of things with music and the church and that sort of thing. So he kind of had pushed the envelope with some of that with the youth beforehand. But it was at that moment I knew that it was my walk and it was my experience. How would you explain how you knew it was real? Not just that you wanted it. Mm -hmm. When you go forward and you pray a prayer of salvation or something like that in an evangelical context, you say certain words certain ways because it's the language of that particular culture, but they're rooted in the Word of God. Mm -hmm. How do you know that what you're saying is something that is doing something or that is a living word? Mm. Honey, I think the way I knew for me was because it felt instantaneous to Mm. me that I had such a desire to know God, to know the Word of God, to know Jesus, to understand who Jesus was and is and could be for me. It was like this hunger that I had never experienced Mm. before that. And it was different. And I remember going down the aisle of my church, even after that concert, maybe it was a couple of Sundays later, there was about four or five of us from our youth group We'd been having conversations after that concert, and it was all of us saying, this is different. This is not like anything we've understood before, we experienced before. Let's have a Bible study, which we had not done before. Let's talk about Jesus. What does it mean to you? How are you reading the Word of God, and, and what is it telling you, and those things? And we realized that we have to tell our church. We have to tell people. We told our youth pastor, and he was thrilled for us, obviously excited. And he said, I'll be right up there with you. I will be at the front of the aisle when you come down to tell the church. You don't have to be afraid. Because at this point, all of the people that we knew in our church that we'd grown up in thought we were already Christians because we'd all been baptized as very young children. Under one definition of it, you certainly were. Well, I guess so. So I remember going down the aisle of the church and telling the pastor that I had accepted Christ as my Savior at this concert. And he was stunned. Hmm. He's like, what? Are you? I, I thought you already were a Christian, yeah. you know. Then one by one, the rest of them came down the aisle. We stood up in the front. At that time, in the Southern Baptist tradition at our church, you would stand up front mm-hmm. at the end of the service, and people would come by and greet you and mm-hmm. welcome you to the church or the family. And so there were about five or six of us up there at the end of the service. And after church, here they came. People came down the front of the church to greet us. Some were stunned and shocked. Some were a little, you know, curious or not quite sure about it. But I remember one person for certain coming down, and it was my granddaddy. And he said to me, I'm so sorry I didn't know before. I would have taught you better. It broke my heart. And as I got older, I came to realize that, you know, the Spirit moves as the Spirit moves. And I'm grateful for the example that I always had from him especially, but from my parents as well, because there was definitely a foundation there that I could build on. Any of us who have kids now, adults or young ones, 
We wonder where they're going, and we're praying for them. I know your grandparents pray for you all the time. Yeah. And they pray for all the kids by name. I think how essential that is that we are invested in the long game, that we are committed to God for those he's given to our charge to care for, spiritually speaking especially. Did I give up on that? Not because we see a problem, but because we just don't know what our kids or our grandkids are going to go through in the process of finding their way home. Yeah. Your church, by the way, I think in that experience, the testimony of you coming before them saying, hey, it finally took root. Well, and as a result of that movement from our youth group, there were adults that had also grown up in the church and had also walked down the aisle at a very young age who came forward Mm -hmm. in the next weeks or so, months, to say, I don't know if that was real back then or not, but I'm going to make it real now. Mm -hmm. I'm going to solidify it now. And it really did spark a revival or an awakening, a reawakening within the walls of that little church in Kyle, Texas, Mm -hmm. back in the 70s. And it continued For quite a few years into my college years, I went to college locally. We had many college students at that church, hundreds on some weeks. There was definitely a movement of the Spirit in that time, in the late 70s and early 80s, that was a revival of some Mm. sort. It it was life-changing. Not always a tidal wave, but sometimes like the slow rollers of a Mm. big ocean that just keeps coming. Yeah. We know that 20 years later, hundreds of them stood up for us and said, we attest to the fact that God is alive and well, and these two, we want them to be married. We agree with that, and we're going to stand by them as they begin their family. Yeah. I really do have to just insert here that it is important. I'll just reiterate what you said earlier, that our prayers do not go unanswered. Mm -hmm. And many people over the centuries have prayed for a movement of God in some way, revival and awakening, whatever you want to call it. People pray for that throughout the centuries. Mm -hmm. People are praying for that now. And however you experience that move of the Spirit is profoundly individual, but it can also impact those around you. And I think that's important for us to know and to note. And for me, coming to a place of commitment— and covenant saying, yeah, I'm really God's. He can do with me what he wants. And I'm kind of more than a little excited about what that adventure might be like. Mm-hmm. Was not for me because I felt like I had come to him for the wrong reasons. I mean, I sat on the dryer reciting memory verses to my grandmother for vacation Bible school. Right. I remember all those things happening. I remember asking Jesus in my heart when I was that little. And I never doubted that it was a genuine request of a child. And Getting older, I assume that, well, God comes to you as you are, when you are, and from then it's a walk. You're mm-hmm. going to find your way into this thing. I had already been part of missions teams in the summer and done construction at outposts in Belize and India and places like that to show that I was committed to this family. Mm-hmm. I believe that God was with me through that. My theology did not make me afraid that because I had not been baptized yet, that I was somehow second class mm-hmm. or that I wasn't really his. I, just, I knew in my heart that I was. But I came to a point when I was a young adult where I thought, you know, I've got to make this decision for me. I want to stand before others and say, like millions and billions have done before me, that in this symbol, in this act, I'm being obedient. Mm. So I did when I was like 15 years old when I chose to get baptized as well. But it wasn't the same thing that led to it. I had a, you might say, a softer landing. Yeah. I didn't feel like I was suddenly coming to faith. It was an epiphany. It was one of those, yeah, now is the time. And for me, it was a responsibility thing. I felt the weight of that responsibility of saying, I have now arrived at a place where I'm going to tell you this Jesus is real for me. Mm -hmm. So that began my journey as a, quote, 
completed Christian (laughs) and led to the things that brought us together as well. We're going to pivot now back to the thing that started this whole conversation. We are looking in through a window at a new revival, and I'm not afraid to call it one because of the testimonies and because of the worry coming out of it. What's begun in Asbury University and the seminary there is going to have impact Mm -hmm. on generations that are being impacted by it. Many young, some older than that. Mm -hmm. But every generation needs their awakening. Absolutely. Every generation needs to know that not just the faith of their fathers, but the reality of the living God upon which that faith has been built is still alive and at work. So these kids have taken it on and said, okay, God, let's do business because the Holy Spirit nudged them in a way they could hear it, you know? I just want to, first of all, to cover one experience that you and I have had together about how revival worked itself out in the context that we were in. And then we'll read a couple of stories of how some of these kids are being influenced by this experience at Asbury. So first up, a meeting that we were part of back in 93, maybe 94, Mm -hmm. while we were part of the leadership of the Continental Singers, hundreds of kids were part of the teams then. And we had dozens of people that were directors and leaders in different countries, a lot of them from America. But every year, they would bring together the leaders for an intensive, like three or four days especially, just being together Mm -hmm. and let the Holy Spirit speak of what the ambition was. Are you seeing God at work in your country? What testimonies can you tell us about what God is doing there? And there had been a day where there was so much need that was showing up. People talking about all the problems they were facing in their countries, how difficult it was to see God at work or do things. Mm-hmm. That had been like an entire day's discussion. Yeah, I remember going to bed that night thinking, how discouraging that is. Mm-hmm. Because there were people that I loved, I mean, people I toured with before that were saying that they don't know what to do next. And yet they were being called to do something in their nations. This is probably 15 different countries that were part of this meeting. And there were people that were from the U.S. too that were experiencing a lot of difficulty in their personal lives and in their careers, things that were happening that they couldn't explain, that were just difficult, and and there was a lot of burden that we were bearing. Everybody was hitting the wall Yeah, it was like the weight of the world was in that room. We come back the next morning, we have worship to start the day off, and we're at the top of the Rocky Mountains. You look out the window, Long Speak is right there. We're at the Salvation Army Retreat Center. We see the hummingbirds sipping around outside. It's beautiful outside that room. And yet in the room was a real weight. So we just started praying. And the director that was leading devotion that day came from a missionary family. He'd grown up as a third culture kid himself, always the outsider. The way he came into teaching during that morning was very gentle. And he just read a couple of scriptures. And then he said, I'm just going to pray over you as God leads me to pray. Mm-hmm. I have no idea how long the prayer was. Yeah. Because time stopped. It seemed quick, yet it seemed eternal. Yeah. I had read enough about the work of the Holy Spirit that images and metaphors were spoken of frequently. Things like the incense of his presence, the music of heaven, things like that were spoken, are written very lyrically in the accounts of people who have had revival come close to them. Mm -hmm. And then it wasn't a metaphor. Suddenly we were in it. Mm -hmm. There was music. There was a fragrance. And there was a weightiness. I've known many times people have talked about suddenly just being driven to their knees Mm -hmm. in prayer. And for us, it happened. It was like suddenly you couldn't stand up, nor did you want to. That idea started ringing in my head that, hey, it's happening. This is it. This is the thing that thousands have written about over the centuries was happening in that room. 
And because I had enough of that kind of historical knowledge, I was very curious about what the experience would be like for everybody. So my mind never really truly got into its own little bubble. I was still feeling like I'm very interested in what my friends are experiencing. So I managed to keep my head up and look sideways and look around. I saw people driven to their knees. and I saw others just fall on their faces. And everywhere I looked, people were hearing what I was hearing at the same moment and responding. And it kind of occurred to me in the middle of that, that this can't be happening because there are people in this room who had already complained about not understanding the English in the room. They felt bad about that. They felt like they were not able to participate because they were always behind and nobody was there to translate for them. And I see them responding to the same thing I'm hearing and acknowledging it without delay. I'm grateful that I was able to make that circuit with my eyes. When nobody else seemed to be looking anywhere else, I had my eyes up. I don't know how I did it, but I got all the way back around to my friend Jeff, who was doing this prayer. But the movement of his lips were not in sync with what my brain was perceiving. Mm. It was different. It was like I could see him move his lips, but what I was hearing was someone or something beyond those lips. I remember being in that space, and I was not looking around. I don't feel like I could look around. I felt... Like it was very much for me. Yeah. I knew that it was our friend Jeff that was praying, but something in me was saying, that is not Jeff's voice mm. that I'm hearing. Yeah. But it was so beautiful and so sweet and yeah. so what I needed. And I couldn't tell you exactly any of the words that I heard that morning, some 30 years later, but I know they were for me. Mm-hmm. And the gist of it was gentleness. Being affirmed that I know what you're feeling. I'm right there with you. I'm reminded of Zephaniah 317, where Zephaniah says, he is the warrior who saves. Mm -hmm. He is a gentle lover, and he rejoices over you with singing. That's what I felt there. As we finish describing this, honey, I want people to understand that I am not presuming that this is the only kind of awakening or revival that ever happens. I'm saying for us, in our context as leaders who really needed to be encouraged, stepping out to serve in the next few days, that God's word for us was addressing all of what we were experiencing or feeling. It spoke encouragement and gentleness to us. And every one of us, in different ways, different words, expressed the same motivation, it seemed, that was coming to us in those words, that Mm -hmm. you're okay. I've chosen you for this. You are not unequipped. Mm -hmm. You are not children, but you're my children, Mm -hmm. and you're going to be okay. We were reminded of the day of Pentecost when that happened because in the book of Acts, it says that each man heard according to their own language. And that was what came out of it. The last moment of, quote, the visitation, if you want to call it that, was a weightiness that was just pressing us down, just went whoosh, it lifted off of us. And we all sensed it together. And suddenly we're sitting up looking at each other. Yeah. Because we're all directors and people who are trained to take action on things. It didn't take but a split second for someone to say, what just happened? (laughs) And then the discussion begins. And even an argument about what really happened there. Was this a move of the spirit or something else? And there were Americans that were battling out their theologies Mm -hmm. in that moment. And then there was a gal from Brazil sitting next to me. Mm. And she nudged me and said, can I tell you something in very broken English? And I said, absolutely. And she said, when Jeff speaks, you hear English. When Jeff speaks, I hear Portuguese. And my friends, I'll just tell you that Jeff does not speak Portuguese. 
And so we shared this with the rest of the group and the others around the group, around the circle that were from other countries began to kind of cock their heads in, in confusion a bit and perk up. And one of them said, I heard Hungarian. And another said, I heard Korean. And so it went around the room to those from other countries. They heard in their own heart language what was being said. And when that testimony of something that was unassailably true in that room, we couldn't argue the point about what they were saying because their testimony was genuine. Mm -hmm. How do you tell somebody from another language that, no, you didn't hear Hungarian? When that testimony, that word of truth came into the conversation, it shut down the arguments. Mm -hmm. It was no longer a question about whether or not God had shown up. The question was immediately now, what are we going to do about it? If you found any encouragement from what you've heard today, we'd really like to hear from you. Our email is info at CompassionRadio.com. And there's also a feedback and prayer request form on our website. Again, that's CompassionRadio.com. Our continuing project in 2023 is to provide more Bibles through our partner, Bibles for the World. Please give generously today so that we can help send more copies of the Gospel of John for new believers, along with New Testaments and full Bibles for those growing in their faith. Many of those Bibles are needed right now in Vietnam as the door stands wide open to receive these gifts and serve the church there. Call 1-800-868-2478. And note our new mailing address, which is P.O. Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. And jump in anytime at CompassionRadio.com. We need you, friends, so drop us a line today.